Hello, and welcome to the Be United podcast. Courtney Stodart is an acclaimed Scottish Caribbean poet and performer born and raised in Edinburgh. Her work focuses on racism, imperialism, and challenging the corporate state. She writes with the intention to combat the dominant power structures of our times and intertwines social, political, and historical discussions into rhythm and rhyme. You can follow Courtney at at Amapoetica on Instagram. That's A-M-A-P-O-E-T-I-C-A. Stay connected. It's time to unite. Courtney Stodart. It is Stodart, right? Um, I think it just kind of just depends what your accent is, I suppose. But Uh, I say Stodart. 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 But I don't know. It just, yeah, I think it just depends on your your accent. I'm fine with whatever. I really need to get my Scottish accent on point. I love the Scottish accent. It's one of my favourite accents ever. Yeah, definitely. And it's so diverse as well because like Glasgow sounds so different from Edinburgh. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, Well, thank you for being on the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on here today. Um, Speaking about Glasgow, you're actually studying at the University of Glasgow? Yes, I am. Yes. Uh, I've still never been through to to the actual university (laughs) because obviously the whole corona situation so um yeah so it's all been online learning but it's, oh, okay. it's been good actually like just to have that a bit of structure a little bit of focus and stuff so yeah yeah and you're doing your master's in creative writing creative writing yeah cool. so it's good i've just finished up all my classes and i'm gonna do uh, my dissertation coming up so nice yeah so then i finish in august so do you have a topic so i'm gonna i'm basically gonna call it um I'm, I'm, I'm working on a few different names, but for now, I've kind of decided on um, Escape from Babylon, Explorations on Liberation. So it's just going to be a collection of uh, poems and essays uh, on the oh. ideas and themes of liberty. And obviously, you have to study the opposite of liberty as well yes. to know what liberty truly is. So oppression and constraint and all that kind of stuff. Wow, that's so, beautiful. Yeah, so. Where do you think you'd find your literature from? Um, well, I'm mostly going to do personal essays, so kind of reflective pieces, mm. which kind of means that I don't have to reference as much work. Oh, so but, your own work? Yeah, yeah, it's going to oh, be my, wow. own, my own poems, my own essays on, awesome. on that theme. So, yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, so it's like I'm researching yourself. Yeah. Totally. yeah. <laughs> I find that that's, uh, that's what I kind of like more so about the creative writing as opposed to um, sociology, which is is what my undergraduate was in uh, because you have to reference so many ideas and sometimes I think that's really restrictive because right. you, you know where's the idea for kind of freedom of thought if you if I have to back up everything that I'm saying and totally. obviously I understand it can be necessary but mm. I um yeah I, I prefer the um more freedom that comes with creative writing yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah totally that's the one thing that I found with doing my master's is that you obviously looking at all these different scholars and your voice doesn't really permeate through the writing yeah only in one chapter of the thesis which is the thematic analysis is where you can actually really tell or express your opinion rather yeah but still it's guided through someone else's work or guided by someone else's work definitely so that's really cool yeah so so creative (laughs) creative writing that's a topic that someone should or 
a degree that someone should do if oh, they want expression yeah. yeah highly recommend it definitely and all my, all my lecturers are great they're all great sort of critical thinkers and they don't kind of put any um restrictions on what it is that you can kind of write about or think about or yeah like that, so. that's cool yeah. and how was it like studying at uni the university of edinburgh um i mean for me I, I started university quite late. I, I left school when I was 15 with no qualifications. So I went into, I mean, not, not particularly late, but I was 21 when I started because I had no qualifications. I had to do an access to university course. And so I wasn't in that same kind of place where I think a lot of university students are that they're 18, they've just left home. You know, I left home at 16. I'd already had my own house for years so I, I was I already had a certain level of independence that I think maybe other students didn't have just just through circumstance and so I didn't I didn't integrate like I didn't make a lot of friends or anything like that and I think because I already had um, a, a social circle out with university and it was in the city that I'd grown up in so I didn't feel kind of that I wanted to get involved in in certain things. I mean, I only found out about the African Caribbean Society in my last year of uni. So, um, but I, I maybe would have, you know, in hindsight, I would have maybe got involved in more sort of things like that. But um, I, th I think as well, it's the university definitely caters more toward kind of more middle upper class students. There is right. predominantly uh, white or Chinese students. I didn't really feel um, that I I kind of fitted in in a lot of ways, mm. but I mean I wasn't I wasn't so bothered about that. But I mean it, it was interesting. I did I did learn, uh, but I also I mean in my first year I didn't really first and second year I didn't really attend very much, and you know I think I, I did feel kind of isolated in some ways. Right. Um, but I I mean I definitely I'm I'm glad that I did it. So. Um, I saw on Twitter that uh, these group of students posted a video of their student home. But it looked like it was in the West End somewhere, like this big Georgian house. And they were basically saying, oh, this is a typical student home. And all the comments were saying like, no, that's not a typical student home. That's obviously because these students come from privileged backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So I can understand like just being in a space where you around all these different realities that is so different to your own. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And I, I am glad that I started started as a, a mature student as opposed to going in when I was younger and not having maybe as much kind of um, confidence in myself because right. I think I would have probably found it uh, a lot more challenging, definitely. But because I was kind of more solid in, in kind of who I was, which is always, an, you know, it's a, it's a journey for the rest of your life. It's yeah. like working out who you are, but I think I was maybe a little bit more kind of solid in my own foundations than had I started when I was yeah. younger kind of thing. So. so you felt that you didn't have to fit in, yeah. which is good. Yeah. So you went there and you got your education and yeah. it was all good <laughs> yeah. in the hood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So tell me about what you studied. You did sociology, but you also did a paper on Sheikh Kubayu, right? I did, yeah. I did, um, <clears throat> so my, oh God, I've just forgotten the name of my, thesis that's terrible uh it was oh my god why can't i remember <laughs> but sorry so bas basically um regardless of the name it was a study on uh, the death of sheku bio and it was it was more it was less so about the circumstances surrounding his death and more so about the way the police and the press reacted to his death and 
um, the ways in which they colluded and, you know, the, through the use of police so, police sources, as you call it, um, to kind of leak this kind of um, offence, very, uh, what I would call a very racist narrative of Sheku um, in order to kind of justify their own actions mm. towards him. And, and I think that that is very much the formulaic response that you see with black deaths in police custody is, you know, it's textbook, the way that they deal with these things. And even with um, people of other ethnicities who die in police custody as well, you know, I'm not for one second saying the police treat them fairly either, because that's not true. But when it is a black person or another, um, ethnic minority within the UK, then they will often use race as a way to say that this is the reason why the person was deserving of the treatment which was right. inflicted upon them. Yeah. And did you feel that you had support with that topic? Yeah, I mean, my, my tutor, Sophia, Sophia, sorry, Woodman, she was amazing. She was very supportive of what I was doing. I, I would say that it, the challenges kind of came because they had a race and ethnicity course, which I wanted to take okay. during that year, but the, the teacher was on sabbatical. So there was no, you know, I would have, I would have appreciated having more um, kind of foundations in the literature you know, that that was something that I kind of um, was maybe more on my own with because I wasn't actually attending a lecture which was based on my dissertation topic. But, right. you know, my, my um, yeah, my tutor was incredibly supportive and, you know, helped me find relevant sources. And yeah, so I, I definitely did feel supported in that sense. Yeah. Good, because it's, it's quite a difficult topic to research. How did you feel emotionally actually researching that topic? Wow, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a very emotional person anyway. It doesn't take a lot for me to cry. <laughs> I cry when I'm happy, I cry when I'm sad. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I find myself like, um, you know, in the library, like in, in floods of tears, you know, because it's, you know, I've got two mixed race brothers. I've got, um, you know, a black uncle. I've, you know, mm -hmm. I, <clears throat> so, from a personal level, you know, it's, it's, it can be hard to prevent yourself from putting yourself in the situation of the family of someone who that's um, someone who has been essentially murdered by the police. It's hard not to, to you know, empathize and put yourself in that person's shoes and be like, oh my God, you know, that's that's horrific. And also, you know, researching sort of cases like Joy Gardner's, you know, who was a, a black woman who was um, horrifically murdered by the police. Um, and, you know, in a really, really violent way. And I, th I think it's, yeah, I, I think that anybody who's kind of in, in touch with their emotions would find that painful. I don't think okay. there's any way that you can separate yourself from, from that as a researcher. That's always yeah. gonna come into play, you right. know. But that's good also because your emotions drive your research and exactly. your passions for yeah. doing the research. Definitely. So, Definitely. you know, in, in the States, they do focus a lot on um, death by the hands of police, um, death of black people by the hands of police, but that happening in the UK is not as well known as it is in the US. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's, you know, it's quite shocking that um, there has never been a prosecution of a police officer for somebody who has died in police custody, you know, when you've had, um, you know, a significant amount of evidence showing police wrongdoing and they always seem to to get away with it. And I think it, I think it's roughly within the last 20 years, there's been over 1,700 deaths in police custody in the UK, you know, and that's, um, I, th I think the fact that that's not more uh, well known is, yeah, it's, it, it's very, it, it's shocking and it's, it's very upsetting, definitely. <laughs>
have Caribbean heritage, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay, cool. So can you tell me more about that? Yeah. Um, so I realized when I actually when we did this show reel um, that I said I sort of uh, had sort of different cultural influences, which is it's very much true. You know, I grew up um, you know, my, my parents were both massive uh, fans of, you know, music of sort of Caribbean and, you know, black origin, if you will. But um, my mom was uh, adopted by a white family. And so we kind of didn't get in touch more so with that Caribbean part of our heritage until later on. Um, my mom met her birth mom when I was about 12. And um, so that was kind of my first introduction to to Caribbean culture. But my mom is uh, her her mom's from Barbados and her dad is from from Trinidad. And so, um, yeah, I kind of have gone through various different stages in my life of feeling kind of connected to that part of my identity and then feeling very disconnected mm -hmm. from it as well. Um, I think growing up in Edinburgh, you know, people always said to me, you know, you're black, you're black kind of thing. And I was sort of like, Right, I know, you know, I've got a black mother, um, but you know, my um, main kind of everybody around me was white, apart from my mom and apart right. from her, her brother, who's my obviously my uncle, um, who who was adopted from Jamaica. So I didn't really, I didn't kind of have an understanding of what it, what it actually meant to be black, and I think you know that it's it's so. Um, ambiguous anyway do you know what I mean there's no there's no it's, we're not homogenous yeah not, you know, exactly it, but you know it was it, what I find difficult was having that projected onto me but still but not knowing within myself what that actually meant to me right. um through my own kind of self-definition um but recently so when was it yeah my so my mum moved uh went went to Barbados um around three or four years ago now it must have been and she just fell in love with the place she got her citizenship and she's um she's still there right now okay yeah <laughs> so that must um, be nice yeah um, <laughs> so then i think yeah so last year i went to visit my mom in barbados which was just a incredibly powerful experience i went for 10 days in february and um i just i i fell in love with the place as well but i it was very it was very painful at the same time because I could see how the, I wouldn't even call them vestiges because there's so much more than that, but the way that white supremacy, imperialism and colonialism still very much has its firm grasp upon Barbados. And so that was, that was very painful to see. And also <clears throat> the, the sort of worship of whiteness mm. there as well. And, you know, being mixed race and having always been told, you know, hear that I'm I'm black you know when I've tried to tell people well my dad's white so I'm not you know right that's not really mathematically yes. <laughs> you know accurate for me to say that I'm fully black because I'm not my dad's white so right. um but you know there I was kind of getting called European they'd be like oh European girl and all this stuff and I was just like you know um it kind of made me um more so aware of the just just the way that nothing is really fixed in that sense and that you know their different cultural attitudes will perceive you in in a different way and that's you know I'm fine with that um but yeah also I mean because I mean growing up in Edinburgh you know I was always very aware that people would speak to my mum in a different way from the way that they would speak to me because I'm lighter skinned and therefore I'm more palatable mm. to the white gaze but then I also realized in Barbados that 
um, to other black people, not to all black people there, of course, but to the ones who maybe have internalized a certain kind of self-hatred, which has been um, put upon them from um, white supremacy, that they would also speak to me with more, uh, I, I don't even really want to call it respect, but maybe even more, a more sense of like being courteous than they would to my mom and I was like you know we're in a country full of black people and yet you're you know still you know the colorism all this kind of stuff is still so uh, heavily within the minds and hearts of people there not everybody of course but um certainly certainly uh, enough people that it's a yeah um have you been to Trinidad no I haven't okay. I that, haven't that that'll be stop? on the list yeah. definitely yeah yeah and um so yeah um but I also so I went for 10 days to um to Barbados and then just before the lockdown hit um I went back to to see my mom again because me, me, me and my mom obviously hadn't lived together for like over 10 years when I went back and um, so, you know, I was just sort of desperate to see her again and they just sort of cancelled the universities and I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll go over for a month, it'll all blow over, this whole <laughs> corona thing, everything will be fine and got stranded there for a whole two months, which was um, a very interesting experience and I definitely learned a lot during my time there. And I'm kind of glad for it. There were times where I was like, I think I'm going to die on this island. Like I'm never going to get back to Scotland kind of thing. But it kind of, it reignited in me a sense of my like Scottish cultural identity as well, because I realized how Scottish I really am right. in a way. So I, I, you know, yeah, I think it was a sort of a very fortuitous experience in a lot of ways, definitely. Yeah. Um, with the sort of hardship that came along with it as well. But So yeah. you prefer to visit there? I don't think I could live there okay. in Barbados for one as well. It's, it's very expensive. Like really? I mean, okay. when you buy locally, um, yeah. you know, from the sort of markets and stuff, it, it, it is cheaper. But because they have um, s such a kind of population of um, white expats as well, they very much cater to that. And the prices, I think, reflect that as well. And also because they have to import course, so much yeah. stuff because it's such a tiny little island. So, um, you know, if you're buying local produce, yeah, it's going to be cheaper. But anything kind of out with that is, I mean, it's more expensive than London. Like, it's, oh, it, yeah, wow. yeah, it's expensive. Yeah, Interesting. definitely. So, yeah, well, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to live there, I think. With that being said, um, do the locals benefit from the tourism industry? I mean, I think that, you know, it's a difficult one because you've got these, you know, so many guys that um, work on the beaches and they'll, they'll spend their whole life working on the beaches, working for white tourists, essentially, mm. which I don't know, to me, obviously this is my, my own, you know, personal way of looking at it, but to me, there's something quite sad about that because it, it, it looks like a continuation to me or a continuum of colonial legacy very right. much yeah. you know and so I mean you could say they benefit from it in a small part economically but I don't think that it's enough to to warrant what it actually is if that makes right. sense you know and um I, you know I did I made it managed to make a lot of friends there and um you know I think a lot of people feel disenfranchised they feel that they're not um they're not kind of given the the respect from these white tourists that they necessarily deserve. Mm. And, you know, um, yeah, they'd kind of have to, I, I think it's difficult because they, in some ways have to almost like exploit these tourists in order to get their money's worth kind of thing. Right. And so 
you know, and you can see obviously why people do that, but yeah. then it's this, I don't know, it's, it's a sort of catch 22, isn't it? It's like, if the yeah. tourists don't come, then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then because obviously when I was there, the tourists weren't coming because obviously the whole global situation. So you could see that there was a lot of people really struggling because that's the right. way that they make their money Absolutely. is through tourism and they're not able to do that. So how do they, you know, if you're, if you're, there's no self-sufficiency in that. Yeah. There's, you're, you're completely reliant upon you know, what could arguably be viewed as your oppressor to mm. to give you money, which then also in turn gives you a sense of freedom. And do you know what I mean? It's, totally. it's so convoluted, yeah. so convoluted. I remember you performed at the Black Lives Matter protest, mm -hmm. right? That was the first time I heard you perform. And then I contacted Benita, because she was run, running the Edinburgh in Solidarity page back then, it was still called that. And I said, who was that girl that performed? <laughs> I was like, I need to know her name because it was absolutely incredible. How was that uh, performing at the protest? That must have been, I would have been scared as hell. I mean, <laughs> you know what? Even think, it's all a blur to me. It's yeah. a complete blur. And it just, even thinking about it now, it gives me chills because, so I went, um, I, I brought, yeah, there was quite a, a few of my friends came to, the protest and one of my friends gave me and my brother a lift down and you know I, I I knew I wanted to do it when I was approached to do it but I was I was very nervous at the same time yeah and so when we were driving down I just saw hundreds and hundreds of people with signs and van <laughs> like I was shaking like profusely like I was like you know I was just like oh my god oh my god like I can't you know total freaking out because I didn't think it was gonna be as big as it was I think, right you know I've heard someone told me there was like 8,000 people there I don't know if it was actually oh, really? that and that's maybe like an overestimate someone told me that I don't know if that's okay act actually accurate but there was definitely a good few thousand yeah, there definitely sure. and I mean the biggest crowd I'd done prior to that was when I was in Brazil which was maybe about a thousand people and um, so that you know that's it's quite a, a big difference yeah <laughs> a thousand people is still a lot yeah <laughs> no it, it was a lot yeah but that was kind of the only thing I had even close right. to that you know and so um yeah so like we got out the car was like walked up to the to the bit where you know they had all the speakers yeah. and everything and I, I can't remember what time I was meant they told me I was going to be on at but they ended up calling me a little bit earlier and which I'm so glad they did because I think I would have just been a total mess um, having to just wait because it was the, the anticipation, yes. you know, you know, it's, it's just like at any gig. It's like if you're going last, you have to, know, you right? want to enjoy everyone's performances, but you're just like sitting there like, you know, with this sort of burning energy inside you. So um, I'm so glad that I was actually called a little bit earlier. And all I can remember is just like, I can't remember what I was holding, but I just kind of thrust it to my friend, just like, take that. And I just like started, started just walking. Like I didn't even say anything to anyone. Like I couldn't even say, right, oh, wish me luck. You know what I mean? I, right. I was just had to just tunnel vision, just walk up there. Cause there was just so, so many people. And um, yeah, I mean, I was like shaking throughout the whole, whole performance. I was so worried I was gonna like forget my words or something. You know what I mean? That, yeah. Just those, those sorts of things. So. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I was very conscious as well that I wanted to put across um, a message of, you know, this this is what black people are experiencing. 
this is what they've been experiencing for a very long time. But I also wanted to put across a message of unity mm. because without that, if you don't strive for that, you are going nowhere. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because it, it can't turn into this, um, you know, because I've been there in my life where, where I just hate, I felt like I hated white people, even though I'm, I'm half white. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. But I just, I felt so burdened by all the racism that I'd experienced. And I was, I was, you know, I was bitter. I was really bitter and I was in a lot of pain. And, you know, I, I was very conscious that I, I wanted to reflect that pain and say, look, this is it. This is how it feels. Yeah. But also to go, but we have to move past it. We have to find something that unites people or it, there's no point, there's no point. Do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I kind of did one poem which was very much about that agony. And then one poem that kind of, you know, I hope kind of gave a message of, you know, let's work together to fight this system because, you know, when we are divided, we only benefit the elite. We, totally. that's, those are the only people who benefit from that. I can't, I can't remember who said the quote. I think it was maybe Toni Morrison said like racism is the biggest distraction. And it is. Mm. So it's the biggest distraction from all the other types of corruption because it, it, obviously it, it's it's real. People feel it. Do you know what I mean? So right. it's, it kind of, you can end up focusing all your energy into that, into that one type of oppression and not being able to see past it and see all the other types of oppression, which yeah. are, which are, um, you know, all, all work, they all intertwine with one another, yeah. you know? And so you can't just have one view of the world as it's just this racist places. It's also classist. It's also, you know, X, Y, and Z, exactly. you know, and these forms of oppression all intertwine. And, you know, that's the only way when you have a, a kind of, fuller view of that that you're able to actually enact some some kind of change or hope to enact some kind of change yeah totally i mean preach exactly <laughs> what you just said because yes you have racism but it goes so much deeper than that because often the black experience is homogenized so we all experience <laughs> life in the same way it's like, no, there's certain aspects of our lives that inform those lived realities. Like you said, class and gender and whether or not you have a disability will change the way that you live your life. So the homogenization of identities yeah. is I think it, it's a very dangerous thing. Yeah. It is. You know, when you when you associate yourself with one group and go, right, we are united based on this one thing, you know, that's how um I think so, so many atrocities that have happened in the world have happened because of this kind of group identity, national yeah. group identity. Do you know what I mean? Look at the Nazis, yeah. you know, um, and that's all based on this this group identity thing. You know, we we are individuals as much as we are part of a collective. Yes. And so that that has to be acknowledged, that has to be recognized. Yeah. Otherwise you, you're, and you're more easily manipulated, I think as well. Exactly. By, you know, various forms of propaganda if you ascribe to a, a group identity in that, in that sense. Right, precisely. Um, and going back to your performances, because it's really interesting watching you because when at the show reel was the first time I actually watched you perform live and you just switch into like a completely different person when you perform and it's really cool to see that where does that come from it's like diva mode yeah. <laughs> you know i think um because i 
you know, I very much strive in my life to be kind, to be courteous, to be, you know, accepting of people and um, just to, just to be polite, yeah. you know, first and foremost, yeah, you know. Exactly. Um, and, and I think, but I also, I very much have a side of me, which is like, I don't know if I'm, am I allowed to swear? Of course. Which is like, <laughs> don't fuck with me. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I've experienced a lot of trauma in my life. Mm. I've, I've had a lot of really horrific experiences. And so from that, I have, you know, I, I think I've still kept my ability to love which is very important to me. I've not become cold, mm. but I have also got a side of me which I won't put up with bullshit from right. people. You know what I mean? And I think that side of me comes out when I'm on stage because especially the topic matters that I'm talking about, you know, mm. I don't know if it would have the same impact if I came on the stage and spoke in, you know, the way that I would speak to my friends or the way I'm speaking right. to you right now or the right. way that, do you know what I mean? It might not have that impact. And, you know, that wasn't necessarily necessarily like a thought out thing when I started performing I wasn't like right I'm just gonna be like this but that's just that's just what comes out of me yeah, when I when okay. I am on stage um you know it's it's and in that sense it feels natural to me because it's not like I've um developed a persona in my mind that is a different person to who I am when I right. perform it's just that that is an aspect of me yeah. but it's just obviously not one that I'm gonna like bring out in my day-to-day -day conversations because it's just not appropriate you can't have conversations with people like that so <laughs> you know um but yeah it's, it's definitely it's a part of my my identity yeah. do you know what I mean so yeah but your performances are very convincing so I okay. guess you have to channel that don't fuck with yeah, me totally. attitude mm -hmm. yeah, yeah definitely. it's not believable yeah yeah definitely and I, I think it comes from you know maybe uh an overcompensation for nerves as well. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah, from, from um, you know, because I'm I am naturally a, quite a, a shy person. Like I much prefer one-on-one -on -one conversations than I do groups. You right. know, I, I can find groups quite overwhelming at times and quite anxiety inducing. And so, um, you know, I, I, I would have never thought, like even if you just spoke to me five years ago and told me that I was going to be performing regularly, I would have told you, that you were stupid. <laughs> no, 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 stupid. But you know what I mean? I would have been like, yeah. no way, absolutely not. Like, I don't know where you're getting this idea from. Because right. it was it's it was so far removed from my reality then. And then it all just kind of happened so fast that I just, yeah, it, it was never something that I'd intended on doing. I, I just wrote for my own catharsis and my own therapy. And that's why I wrote. And right. then it just kind of um, spiraled through a certain set of circumstances. And so, yeah, it's not... I've not really um, kind of, I've not really sort of, yeah, kind of come up with like a, I don't know, yeah, like a sort of performing identity or anything like that. But yeah, that, yeah that's just what comes out. That's cool <laughs> because it, it just comes naturally. Yeah. Definitely. And I think people can sense authenticity, whatever yeah, it is. Exactly. You know, you can, on some sort of biological level, I think we can tell when people aren't being themselves or are being fake in some kind of way. And so, yeah, I think as, as long as I do what feels natural to me, then that's that's what it's going to resonate with right, other people. Exactly. You know, whether it's a softer approach or a more harsher one or whatever. I think it, yeah, as long as you're being yourself in some regard, totally. that resonates with other people because they, they can feel it. Yeah. And the thing with spoken word is you have to be yourself because I guess there are different styles to spoken word. But when you try and copy someone else, it's not something that's you. Exactly, so, exactly, yeah. It's just good to do what, what you want to do exactly. on, on stage. <laughs> yeah, definitely.
and more about you what are your hobbies like outside of writing what do you like to do for fun yeah so um i say i'm a very uh social person in in terms of you know i've got a lot of really really close friends and um very close to my all, all of my family as well so i you know i, I really um yeah appre- appreciate sort of spending time with them and just having that that that's what matters most to me is is my sense of community yeah that's what matters most to me um above anything else and you know aside from that i'd say probably music you know i love music Ooh, I what love kind of to, music do you like oh wow I, it depends what i'm doing really um i love uh, a lot of i would say sort of conscious music like sort of bob marley bob marley and the whalers <gasps> love bob yeah marley. um i am an avid avid fan i probably know every single song off by heart my, my parents um say uh that they used to play bob marley when i was in the womb all the time okay. you know so um you know that, that's the music i was raised on yeah you know my dad's got every single bob marley album on vinyl apart from the ones he only released in jamaica oh, so wow. you know like i've yeah. been raised by fans like super fans yes. <laughs> so um and you know i, I like a lot of, sort of reggae and um Oh gosh, so much stuff, so much stuff. Like um, a lot of conscious rap, conscious hip hop, old school hip hop. Mm. Love a lot of that. And um, but you know, if I'm if I was say I was on a night out, or I was going to a clubbing or something, house techno. You know, I love love a bit of dance music. Uh, good quality dance music, but right, not, right? Like I'm not into like the sort of EDM yeah. kind of stuff. You know, I, I'm not into really what I would term as that sort of mainstream popular music in terms of. Um, a lot of what you see out now, I just, yeah. I find it, oh, I just, it doesn't. You can't connect with it? <laughs> just, yeah. I just can't, I just can't, you know. Um, so yeah, that's definitely my sort of, my sort of passions and yeah. yeah. I feel like music has, is just not the same as it was when I was growing up. Um, sound like I'm old. When I was, I was growing that's up. I was, thinking, I was like, oh God, I sound like one of these like, um people that just doesn't understand the new trends I and all know. that but. oh my gosh i am that person now <laughs> like i just can't relate to your music yeah but now you have um tiktok stars that are becoming singers yeah like, wow i yeah no i mean that's that's cool i'm not on tiktok i don't really i don't really get it yeah you know maybe i'm just not of that generation but it just yeah. i don't really i don't really understand it i suppose neither do i um and just so many people, even around the city, just catch them doing the dance videos. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, I just don't It's like know. this is a big, big trend. I, I think it breeds narcissism, personally. Totally. I, I think, I, you know, I think social media does that yeah. anyway. But I think particularly, you know, because I, I sort of see these things of like, you know, people just kind of mouthing along to songs and that sort of thing. And I'm, I just, maybe maybe there's something I don't understand about it. I'm completely yeah. willing to, to accept that, but I just, yeah, I don't know. I I worry sometimes about corrupting the minds of the youth. <laughs> you know, with For with real. that kind of um, yeah. Th- there's so many things that kind of disturb me about our modern day culture. I know, but social media is a very narcissistic space. Yeah, and if you just scroll on Instagram, not even on the people you necessarily follow, but you know that explore page where you can see other oh, yeah. people's accounts and. I guess with the influencer age and everybody wanting overnight fame, people just, they think it's all about kind of showing 
their physicalities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's a there's a definite sort of hyper sexualization of yeah. society, and I think that there's a. I think we have been taught that visibility equals worth, and I right. really I don't think it does. And I think that yeah, you have to be very very careful. I, I think about what what you put out there because you know however many years down the line you might then decide that actually that's you know that's not the the person that you you are and that's not not who, what you wanted to kind of show of yourself and i, I think because i i may be part of the last generation that didn't grow up i, I th like with social media i think yes. facebook maybe was kind of you know we had bebo I don't know if you guys had Bebo. I no. I never I could never work it. I'm not technological, so what I could is never work Bebo? it. was like a social media kind of thing. Oh, like a MySpace? Kind of like MySpace, oh, yeah. Okay. But it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't people, you know, you didn't have an app on your phone for it. Yeah. You know, yeah. it wasn't like instantly accessible in the ways that yes. you know, um social media is now. And I think yeah. maybe when I was sort of, I don't know, 14 or 15, maybe that's when Facebook was starting to okay. you know, but I never got Facebook till I was like 21. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I like it was never kind of I don't know, in my sort of frame of reference in that way. But I think like yeah, it's just uh, it, it it's so difficult. Cause you, you obviously don't want to come across like you're sort of pleasing other people or sort of overly critiquing know, them like and things like that yeah, yeah but it, it does it does concern me it does concern me yeah, me too because i mean what what's the next generation gonna be like <laughs> if everyone's tiktoking and selfie selfie obsessed yeah definitely i think it, it does it completely yeah. and utterly uh breeds breeds narcissism and um yeah, that, that has such far-reaching effects, you know, because yeah. the, the sort of main tenet, tenet of narcissism is that you, you cannot empathize with other people. Exactly. And what does that do to society? Right. It causes a breakdown because, you you know, people don't are not in touch with a, a basic level of empathy. They're not able to listen. They're not able to converse. They're not, right. able, you know what I mean? Like it, it affects us, so, you know, you can look at it and go, it's harmless. And, you know, you're just out of touch and that kind of thing. But I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's so, um, is so far reaching and again just like with the whole pandemic thing we're not going to know what the effects of that truly are yeah. until however many years down the line when it's exactly. too late to actually do something about it and then right. you know you've got generations of children being raised by iphones and ipads as opposed yeah. to parents and exactly because it's maybe easier for some parents because they're busy and it's also important to acknowledge that that sometimes for a parent it's easier just to give a child of course, an ipad yeah. because yeah. they themselves just need to unwind take a break. and yeah. take a break of course completely and i think that that's where again like our sort of our loss of community because what what yeah. people would have done say 50 years ago when their 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 kid was doing their head and it's like right go see your granny yeah do you know what i mean right go you know go right. out and play with your pals go out and do whatever but now it's like right i'll give you the ipad and you can just shut up yeah in in that sense do you yeah. know what i mean because it parents need respite from children that's exactly. completely understandable but through this kind of breakdown of the family unit through this breakdown of of community then you you find other avenues to do that and they are arguably more detrimental mm. to for the good of humanity you know totally and the internet can be such a dangerous place for children because a lot of things aren't censored like if you go on youtube and you watch current uh, music videos like cardi b omg i was like really this is actually allowed i i personally think that's um quite dangerous 
Yeah, I, I really do. I think that the effect that that has on a on a child's mind is yeah, it's it's untold. Yeah, the the consequences of that definitely. We have a massive like por- pornographization yes, of society. Exactly. Exactly. Definitely. Exactly. That. Yeah, and because, it's, it's so normalized now as well. It, and you're seen as precisely. a prude if you don't go along with that narrative. Yeah, you know exactly. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it is normalized. But as an adult, when you watch something like that, you can. It's easier not to let that influence you. But as a child whose mm-hmm. brain isn't fully developed, and they're watching, um, do you know that song "Walk"? Don't get me started. Oh my gosh, that, <laughs> that video was like whoa. And then you have Kylie Jenner on that video um and she has major influence little girls that want to be like her and little girls that literally cry hysterically when they see her Mm. and i just find the whole idolization and glorification of celebrities to be really weird yeah yeah and i I think you know we have it thrust down our faces every single day you know it's it's almost inescapable it's this total um assault on our consciousness with this idea of status and wealth and class and all these kind of things because you know fundamentally if these people didn't have what the reason why people worship them is because they have wealth and you can deny that to yourself as much as you Mm. want but fundamentally that's what it boils down to is because they're in the music videos they've got the jewels they've got the diamonds they've got the cars they've got whatever that is a glorification of wealth that is all it is and you know what comes with that then this the sex and all whatever else you know that's involved in these sort of um productions essentially what they're selling you is money and sex and products yeah you know so you can be a better consumer in this society you know products you don't need yes But just one last question before uh, we wrap up. As someone who has grown up in Edinburgh and is Scottish, what are some of the things that you love about Edinburgh and Scotland in general? I love, um, I love, I love the people, you know, I do like, um, yeah, I love the, the sort of banter. I love the, the kind of jokey kind of nature of Scottish people. And obviously because I've grown up here, you know, I love all the slang. I love all the, yeah, I just the I'd say definitely the people, you know, I think just like any any place in the world the people are what makes it, you know. But I love the fact that Edinburgh's so small as well and it's it's kind of big but small. Mm. <laughs> if you know what I mean, like it is very village-esque, I think. Yeah, it's like a totally. lot a large village, but I love that you know um you can just kind of walk from one place to another or you know this one bus will take you there you know it's not like london where it take you like three hours to get from one side to the other right you know um i I think i like its sort of compactness in that totally definitely yeah and the green spaces yeah so nice definitely Um, arthur seat the meadows i think we're very fortunate to have all that greenery in in a city definitely have you traveled um within scotland like um into the highlands I've been to the Highlands once. Um, I've got, oh God, where was it? Strathpeffer, I went to, oh, okay. which was heard. nice. Yeah, it was kind of just, yeah, up north. I went with some friends. That was nice. Um, but I've not, I, w- I would like to travel more around mm. Scotland. Obviously, I've been to like Glasgow, Dundee, I've been to Aberdeen. Uh, I've been to Shetland once, okay. which was really beautiful. You can eat good fish there, right? Because that's where. 
yeah. Where the fish comes yeah. from. One, yeah. of my, one of my best friends, her uh, her mum and her mum's partner lived there and her, yeah, her mum's partner is actually a fisherman there. So yeah, but it's, it's a really beautiful place. I really, yeah. yeah, I recommend it. It's just, yeah, rolling hills and all that. You know? I know, Scotland is a really beautiful country. I mean, I've only seen a fraction of it, but I'm really keen to do more, yeah. you know. I've seen um, Thurso because my husband surfs. So he uh, went surfing in Thurso and I didn't go in because the water looked murky and cold (laughs) and it was jellyfish all over. I'm like, nope, not doing it. Um, But Thurso was really nice. Like people were so friendly there. It was so lovely. Um, And then we went to Cairngorm. Oh yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. 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 Really pretty. Um, But as we are driving to the different places, every time you like turn a corner, it's like, yeah no it's so is, it stunning. Is stunning definitely i would like to live more countryside i know like totally ideal but like you said edinburgh doesn't feel it's like it's a town so it doesn't really feel like a city yeah you know like london mm-hmm. yeah. i always feel that when i come back from london i almost sigh sigh of relief to know that i'm back in edinburgh yeah. because it's so busy mm-hmm. i like i like london i love the hustle and bustle of it but you know it can be a bit much yeah, yeah like a long weekend small amounts london, of that but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but any more than that it's a bit yeah definitely. yeah sorry londoners yeah. <laughs> no, no hate no offense. <laughs> at all. None, none at all yeah <laughs> Um, so where can the people find you on the socials? Are you uh, just on Instagram? What do you do, like Twitter and all of that? Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, at, which is, so my handle is at Ama Poetica, which is like A-M-A-P-O-E-T-I-C-A. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I'm on um, Facebook. I have a Facebook, my friend runs it for me, so I don't actually... I don't ever go on it, but it's um, Courtney Stoddart's poetry as well. Okay, cool. So she sort of updates that for me because oh, I, I can't cool. work Facebook. I don't, I don't yeah. like it at all. So. Uh, I actually wanted to ask you, where does Ama Poetica come from? Oh, right. So that, so basically my middle name's Ama, which okay. kind of means various different things in different languages. Um, I think in, Gan, in um, Tweed, sorry, it means, uh, what is it now? It means born on a... Sunday or something like that and then it's also a Japanese word for like female deep sea divers and then okay. in some like old sort of I think it's some I can't remember it's, it's it's not Arabic but it's maybe like some sort of ancient form of Arabic it's um it means like slave and I just I just found all these different meanings for what it meant I just saw, yeah. and in Cherokee actually it means water interesting as well so I just thought it I, I don't know and, and as well it's always been my kind of one connection to my um sort of afro-caribbean heritage through my name because courtney stoddart that could be any average scottish girl do you know what i mean but ama kind of gave me that sort of connection to that in a different way so and then poetica i think it's just like i think it's latin for poetry but you know why i actually came up with this because when i so when i start first started performing i basically had um I had basically, I had no social media at all. And Mm. people were like, oh, you need to make an Instagram and this and that. And when it came up with like a username, I don't know why in my head, I thought I couldn't just put Courtney Stoddart, but I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to think of like a username. And so I just started thinking and I was like, I'm gonna do like Ama and then Poetica and then that was it. But then I realized sometime later, I was like, I could have just put my own name as that. Okay. Yeah. 
okay. whatever it's kind of it's a cool name yeah so <laughs> so when you perform do you do they introduce you as am i political no no it's, just, it's literally just an instagram uh, it's just a social media uh, okay, thing cool. um yeah no courtney courtney's not out yet that's why i'm usually yeah. introduced as so yeah there was another question i had about your poetry how has that been received um in terms of like audience wise or yeah I mean, I, I've never really had any difficulties. Okay, that's good. Which is good. Because I've, you really, you challenge. Yeah. People have always been very receptive to me. The only, yeah. I've had a couple of incidents. I had one where I performed at the Scottish National Portrait Gallery and a man came up to me afterwards. It was an event that was kind of, I think it was in part Edinburgh Uni with the Scottish Portrait Gallery. I can't, I can't remember exactly what it was or something to do with Robert Louis Stevenson. And they asked me to like read a poem there. And basically uh, this guy came up to me afterwards and he was like, "Um, how did you worm your way in here? (laughs) And I was just like, uh, like, what do you mean? Like worm my way in? Cause that implies, that that sentence implies that I don't deserve- Like you don't belong To be there, yeah. yeah. And then he also said, uh, you've got a bit of the rap about you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Still trying to work out what that sentence actually means. Um, and with, and then he was like, have you ever tried jazz singing? You know, so there's these undercurrents of his kind of racism coming yeah, through there. Exactly. Definitely. Um, but that's that's probably the worst I've actually had. And I, I did have quite a bad reaction to Skin Feriority, which is one of my poems, which kind of, uh, it doesn't critique uh, God, as it were. It critiques uh, white Jesus and... Mm. Um, the way in which religion has been used as an integral tool of colonialism. That's what I'm critiquing. But I think some, uh, this woman sort of took it the wrong way and she thought that I was kind of um, insulting religion or insulting the idea of God, which I absolutely was not my intention right. whatsoever. Because there's, there's almost like a conversation with God in it, in the poem where I sort yeah. of say, um, God, do you know white from wrong? God, have you been white for long? Um, but I'm, I'm not critiquing, you know, the, the actual idea mm. or image of god it's it's purely the way in which that has been manipulated I'm, I'm questioning the manipulation behind it yeah, because exactly. you know the, the way in which we've got we've been indoctrinated with this um you know this idea of the white jesus and etc et yeah so yeah okay but i i guess it comes to the territory of spoken word not everybody's going to agree with exactly what yeah. you say yeah and, and you know what pe- people get offended exactly. and that's all right that's all right. right you're you're entitled to be offended as much as i'm entitled to offend so yeah you know that's freedom of speech <laughs> which yeah I'm, you know all, like all four definitely should put on a t-shirt yeah <laughs> <laughs> well cool thank you so much for coming on the podcast today no and thank you for having me just a reminder to find courtney at i'm a poetica i love that just sounds so good you know (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much for having me it's been an absolute joy um i'm really glad thank you for coming thank you for listening to the be united podcast find us on instagram at at be united world and you can follow me inga dale at at spoken by inga on instagram be inspired be connected be united